Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Very few people have ever experienced what Hurricane Dorian is doing to the Bahamas right now. And thank God for that. The lead starts right now. Destruction everywhere. Just in, the first look at the damage in the Bahamas as seen from above, showing an almost total wasteland after a two-day thrashing from Hurricane Dorian. While on the ground, CNN is on the scene as frenzied rescue efforts are underway as crews and boats pull desperate families from rooftops. Plus, new today, a high school in Santa Cruz is mourning its missing classmates as Crews give up the search after a boat goes up in flames off the California coast. Today, the serious questions about what more, if anything, could have been done to save the victims. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We're going to start with the breaking news. Powerful Hurricane Dorian now headed towards the Florida coast, leaving catastrophic conditions behind in the Bahamas. We're getting our first look from the air at the devastation Miles and miles of damage. Neighborhoods reduced to strewn pieces of debris, almost appearing like trash littering the ground. But what looks like matchsticks, those are pieces of roofs and doors and what used to be homes. We can only hope at this point that the families who lived there escaped and made it out safely. Some of the debris, of course, surrounded by floodwaters. Hurricane Dorian, the strongest hurricane to ever hit the Bahamas, as far as we know. It lashed the islands for two straight days, moving just 30 miles in 30 hours, killing at least five people with that death toll, regrettably expected by experts to rise precipitously. The storm destroyed or damaged some 13,000 homes. It ripped off roofs and pushed ocean waters right, right up into towns, right up into homes. As a result of Hurricane Dorian's stall over the Bahamas, it has been downgraded to a Category 2, but at the same time, the hurricane is expanding. It's powerful hurricane force winds stretching well beyond its eyewall. All that strength puts it on a menacing path towards Florida, towards Georgia, and towards the Carolinas and the United States. From the destruction in the Bahamas to the race to get ready along the East Coast, CNN is covering it all. I'm going to start with CNN's Patrick Ottman, who's been doing incredible reporting for us. He's live in Freeport, Bahamas. And Patrick, you just got back from viewing this devastation firsthand. Tell us what you saw. Yeah, Jake, for the first time today, after being battered by the storm for days and days, it was finally safe enough to go out. Uh, We were not able to access much of the island. There were so many other places that we wanted to go, but the streets were still under water or blocked by cars. We did get to the area where regular Bahamians have decided to stage their own rescue mission with jet skis in small boats. Let's go ahead and and I'll show you what we saw there. We are walking out to a staging area where they're bringing people in from the communities out here that have been flooded. Sometimes one at a time you can see there are still hurricane force winds and rain coming down on us. And yet these people are going out 
and pulling people from their houses, from on top of their houses, and saving their lives. Look, there's a little, a little baby here. They're a boy. They're, they're covering up and protecting. Uh, here, I assume, is his mother. Come through, come through, come through. Good job. And they're going on a jet skis because sometimes the boats. Ma'am, how are you doing? How are you doing? You made it. You're yeah. safe. Yeah. How high did the water get? It was um, up to the first floor. You're safe now. Yeah. So, she, as, as she was saying, the water was up to the first floor of her, of her house. Many people here have told us that the water came in so quickly into this neighborhood, you would not be able to tell from, from what you're looking at here, but there are hundreds of houses back there. And the only way to get the people from the houses is from small boats and jet skis. What's going on? Yeah, we're trying to do the rescue here in Freeport um, after the hurricane. How many people are out there still? A few hundred. A few hundred? Yeah, a lot of homes are over here. And it's tough to get out there and get them? It's tough. How long do you need to keep doing it? Until we get everybody, we Bahamians. We're not going to stop until we get everybody in. This is all volunteer. People are coming, they're bringing their jet skis. They're bringing their boats. Uh, they're going to get their neighbors, they say. Everyone says they know of people. They say it's very hard to navigate because there are, of course, no more streets. Uh, and yet they are doing it. You don't see anybody from the government here. Uh, it is all very ad hoc. People coming with what they have. The jet skis they have, they are dealing with horrible weather conditions. It's not safe to be out on a boat right now. It's not safe to be out here at all. And yet they say they know there are people out there. There are people who've lost their lives out there, we are told. They brought back at least one body. Uh, and they say they will not stop until they get everybody. They have hours, if not days, of work ahead of them. And Jake, while we were out there, uh, we were still... Uh, feeling hurricane force winds. Uh, we tried to get in the boat, but they had to suspend the rescue operations after several jet skis flipped over. They said they would hope to try later today to keep bringing people in. Again, it's just a few boats and jet skis. It's not organized by the Bahamian government. It's not organized really by anybody, but these brave people are putting their lives on the line to bring their neighbors in from these houses. They said they would not get everybody, though, Jake. They said there's still hundreds of people out there. They're only brought in uh, several dozen today. There's more people than there are boats, and many of those people will have to spend another night out there trapped in their homes. And, Patrick, you spoke with a man who watched his wife drown in, in front of him. Uh, these storm survivors are going through just horrific, horrific ordeals. Yes, uh, his name is Howard Anderson, sorry, Howard Armstrong. Uh, he's a crabber, he's very well known in this community. He has his, his wife. Uh, he said that they ended up riding out the storm as the water came up all the way in the first floor of their home on their kitchen cabinets. Uh, the, the kitchen cabinet, his wife was on, collapsed. He was holding her in the water, she had hypothermia. And finally, he said, uh, she just slipped out of his arms, she, she drowned. He uh, barely got out of his house. Uh, he has not had anything to eat, he said. He, he didn't want anything from us. He was just waiting there to see if his wife's body would be brought in, completely traumatized. Other people said that their family members are missing uh, or had even uh, been seen taken away by the storm surge. Uh, it's going to take a long time before a full accounting can be, can be done here uh, of how many lives were lost in the storm. And again, people are trying to carry out these rescue missions. 
in conditions that are just not safe, but they say they have no other option. And Patrick, you, you, you tell us that the destruction to the Bahamas uh, is worse than expected. Tell us more about that. Why is that? Uh, yes, it's just that it's impossible to get so many places. The flooding is still so deep, and, and the storm is, the worst of it is, is passed, but we're still feeling some hurricane winds, and it's really a, a story about the flooding. Uh, this island, it is so low, it's only 30 feet high and the highest point of land, and so much uh, of this island is still underwater, and we were in a big truck, uh, and still it was impossible to get almost everywhere. Uh, we've heard rumor, stories, uh, reports that, that people are in terrible shape at the hospital here, the main hospital, Rand Memorial. We were not able to get there. Uh, we have heard other stories of people who are completely cut off, uh, whose houses were swept away. We tried to get to those neighborhoods. We were not able to get there. We have not heard any word yet of, of anybody coming in from the outside. The airport, of course, is underwater, but more importantly, uh, there are many neighborhoods here uh, that are completely underwater, and we've not heard word uh, if there were people there and if they have survived. All right, Patrick, great reporting. Stay safe, my friend. Let's go now to meteorologist Tom Sater. Uh, Tom, Florida is, is just now starting to feel more of the storm. Uh, exactly how far uh, do these hurricane force winds stretch, and, and who might soon uh, be facing them? Well, I tell you, we're only moving at five miles an hour. I know that's better than stationary one or two, but in the grand scheme of things, five miles an hour, Jake, is still slow uh, when it comes to a, a moving tropical system. And so that means hour after hour of just battering the coastline, and they're still getting battered in Freeport and Grand Bahama Islands. But let's talk about the distance. Right now, it's about the same distance it was yesterday from the coastline, 100 miles from Fort Pierce. Yesterday, it was about 105 uh, from down in areas of West Palm. But now let's take a look at this because each time this uh, storm goes through what we call an eyewall replacement cycle, that's where it can only sustain its strength for so long. And, and those winds, as it goes through that cycle, extend outward and they stay there. And this happens every day, every day and a half or so. And then those tropical storm winds go out and they go out further and further. So right now, hurricane winds are out 50 miles. We think at its closest approach, Cape Canaveral, this could be about 80 miles, which is better than 35 to the coast yesterday. Tropical storm force winds are out 130. So this is going to create several elements as we watch this in the next couple of days as it rakes itself up the entire coastline. And tell us about the, the threat as Dorian starts to move up the coastline. Okay, well, we still have our track, which thank goodness has been in our favor east, of course, away from the Florida coastline, but it's still going to be at its closest approach when you get up to the Carolinas, maybe within 30, 35. First thing we want to look at is when the Carolinas and Outer Banks, are, therefore, they've got their uh, evacuations to be uh, underway soon. First of all, it's the rainfall. They've had an extremely wet August and a wet year. The ground in Florida cannot take much more. Because the system is down to the south, hour after hour of these feeder bands with thunderstorms, and some of these could see one community just drenched with heavy rain and the next community not so much in between these bands, then the system has to pull northward. So it's hour after hour and a couple of days of this. The storm surge is getting better now on the coast of Florida, but now because of the curvature of the Carolinas and that coastline, we're looking at that four to seven. Now the winds. We're getting near, you know, we've got into the tropical storm force range from Cape Canaveral to Daytona. You move northward 
and then we're going to start to see hurricane force wind gusts as we get closer to the Carolinas because of the close proximity and, again, because of the curvature. We're not through with this. A good reminder for everyone on the coastline to go outside and double-check that loose items are not around, furniture, uh, lawn equipment, you name it, tie it all down. All right, Tom Sater, thanks so much. CNN's Brian Todd is in Sewell's Point, uh, Florida, an island stretch just north of West Palm Beach. And, Brian, that area uh, surrounded by two rivers and the ocean. You said the hurricane is starting to push all that water up into town. That's right, Jake, and this is an example of it. We're in uh, Sewell's Point on Sewell's Point Road, and that is one of the rivers that you just talked about. This is the Indian River Lagoon, but you've also got the St. Lucie River that's uh, kind of a catty corner to this and converges with this along with the Atlantic Ocean. And that storm surge is pushing this water up. This was this has actually receded a little bit from a while ago, but the water was coming straight from the river into this street, and then it goes down these streets here. We counted about 10 square blocks of this area that were flooded. And uh, we did ask a lady who lives uh, down this way whether this is normal, even uh, after a normal rainstorm. She said, no, this is not normal. These streets are not normally flooded to this degree. So they are still dealing with this, even though, as Tom mentioned, um, you know, these bands are starting to pull away. We're starting we're still getting hit with some of those bands. But as Tom just said, this is saturation. This area can't take much more of this rain. So uh, this is not they're not really well equipped to deal with this right now, uh, even though they're lifting some of the um, evacuation restrictions. People are coming back into the neighborhoods. But again, this is what you're coming back to. So they have to be very, very careful, Jake. All right, Brian Todd, thank you so much. Joining me now is FEMA Senior Administrator James Joseph, live for us at FEMA headquarters in Washington. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, Mr. Joseph. We've seen the track of Hurricane Dorian changing almost daily. Uh, Now that the storm is moving on from the Bahamas, are federal resources in the right places right now to help people during and after the storm? Hey, Jake, thanks for having us on tonight. And uh, first and foremost, my condolences, thoughts and prayers to everyone impacted uh, in the Bahamas, uh, as you've been reporting, just a tragic event there. And yes, we do have the resources. We have pre-positioned personnel uh, in the state emergency operations centers several days ago, well in advance uh, of the track making its way, uh, the storm making its way now. And we have been embedding with the governor's offices, working with the governors of the southeastern states and working with their state emergency management officials uh, to assess any gaps that they may have in their plan and to help help them fill that. How do you decide where to send the resources, given the fact that the, the track continues to change? Yeah, and with, with the, the, the track that's been moving so significantly that we're also moving our resources as well. So while we had some resources in Florida that may relocate, uh, we have resources right now up and down the coast. Uh, from Florida up to uh, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina as well, and we'll continue to reposition as needed uh, where the greatest needs might be. So your organization, FEMA, uh, announced earlier that it has recalled some people who had had been sent to Puerto Rico. The storm was expected to make landfall there, uh, and some of those people have since been sent to Florida. Uh, Have you also moved people from Florida to, to Georgia or the Carolinas? Yeah, so we're uh, continuously assessing based on where this storm track goes and where we see the greatest impact will be. You know, we're looking in some areas along the coast, seven foot high uh, storm surge. Uh, We're looking at tropical force storm winds in parts of Florida and hurricane force storm winds uh, based on the forecast now in the Carolinas, uh, based on how close that's going to go to the coast. So we continue to remain nimble, Jake. Uh, We'll move those resources uh, throughout the states wherever they need to be. James Joseph of FEMA, thank you so much. Good luck and best best wishes to all the people working so hard to 
try to keep Americans safe uh, as the storm makes its way to the U.S. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Jake. You saw just some of the rescue efforts underway in the Bahamas and to get people vital supplies such as food or water. Up next, we're going to talk to celebrity chef and philanthropist Jose Andres, who's there in the Bahamas right now hoping to get food to the many victims. Stay with us. with breaking news in our world lead the first look from the air of the utter destruction in the bahamas neighborhoods reduced to rubble one witness telling cnn that hundreds of people remain trapped on their roofs they are waiting for rescue hurricane dorian now moving towards the east coast of the united states threatening states such as florida and georgia and north and south carolina cnn's randy k is live for us in fort pierce florida which is north of west palm and randy uh, the city is right along the coast What's it like there now as Dorian is moving towards you? We've been uh, standing out here at the Fort Pierce Inlet, Jake, and we've been experiencing some really heavy rains um, as the bands have been coming through. As you know, even if Dorian doesn't make landfall here, uh, we're certainly feeling the effects uh, of those very wide-ranging hurricane-force winds. As we came into town, everything was boarded up. The restaurants, the gas stations are all closed, so we could tell people are ready. But sometimes you can't always be ready for everything. Take a look at what we found here as we came across uh, this area. That's a sailboat. Um, stuck on its side, obviously. We can't tell if it had come uh, off its mooring out in the distance where some of these other sailboats are also uh, anchored or if it was here and now it just tipped on its side. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere, um, but it is uh, certainly a concern. So it's not just the the human toll, but it's also the property, uh, the human loss of life, that, that the loss of life that people are concerned about, but also the loss of property, loss of homes, loss of boats, uh, certainly for a big boating community here. Uh, Jake, back to you. All right, Randy. DK in Fort Pierce, uh, Florida. I'm joined on the phone now uh, by Ben Malik. He's the mayor of Cocoa Beach, Florida. That's north of where Randy is. It's just east of Orlando, directly uh, on the water. Mayor Malik, I understand that right now uh, you're out surveying your town. What are you seeing in Cocoa Beach right now? Well, we're starting to see some of the uh, the, the outer bands start hitting in our area, and I'm out with uh, Chief uh, Deputy Chief Justin Grimes and our IT. Uh, folks, uh, Ronald Munn, and basically the town's pretty well secure. Everything's boarded up like a ghost town, which is very eerie, and uh, seeing that we're very much a tourist destination and um, just making sure we we had to close off the beach earlier. We had some folks that were trying to get into the ocean, which is probably not a good idea. We've got literally 12 to 15-foot surf out there and uh, expecting 20-foot surf uh, by tonight. Well, people are trying to get in the ocean with 15-foot waves. What is your concern? People like that? Is that your biggest concern right now? Well, right now it's just, you know, not being a little complacent. Um, you know, people that have lived in Florida a long time just get a little complacent with these things. And even though it's, uh, you know, considerably offshore, we're still going to get tropical force winds for, you know, 12, 15 hours, which... We're going to see some, certainly some power outages, and I'm, I'm really worried about the coastal erosion and potential flooding. I know there are evacuation orders in place. Um, you said it's like a ghost town. Uh, did every resident heed the warnings? Obviously, the ones in the surf didn't. Uh, no. That's, uh, we, you know, at the end of the day, we can't force people out. But um, so hopefully, as these bans come in, now we're just advising people, please stay inside. And, um, and once the winds reach 50 miles an hour, unfortunately, we can't we can't come get you if you get in trouble. What would you get, just as a rough estimate, what percentage of your town do you think remains 
in, in their homes remains uh, in Cocoa Beach? I, you know, I would say 30 percent. I mean, given the devastating pictures we saw from the Bahamas, I think people took caution and, um, you know, left. Um, I know my family, my wife and, and son and my dog are in Orlando right now writing it out there. All right, Mayor Ben ba- Ma- Malik, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Our best wishes and thoughts uh, with the people of Cocoa Beach. Appreciate it. You bet. Take care. As Hurricane Dorian targets the East Coast, we're going to take a closer look at why this hurricane is behaving differently than previous ones. Stay with us. We're back with the breaking news and a look at just how much Hurricane Dorian inundated the Bahamas. This is video uh, from inside a hospital in Freeport. All that water essentially took over the emergency room. Hurricane Dorian is the second slowest major hurricane ever since recorded. That pace means that the Bahamas have been bombarded for days, leading to severe flooding and much, much more. Let's bring back CNN meteorologist Tom Sater. And Tom, Hurricane Dorian's now moving only five miles per hour, you told us. Why? Why is it such a slow mover? You know, the lack of steering currents, something we had once before. 30 hours to move halfway across the Grand Bahama Islands. The one that was moving slower was 1965. It was Betsy. It moved only 12 miles in 30 hours, but that was over land, or excuse me, over water, not near land. If we go back and look at the history of this, Jake, all these storms want to do is transfer their heat from near the equator to the colder waters and the colder air to the north. That's it. So they just want to take the path of least resistance. And what we've had going on here is a strong area of high pressure that's been up to the north of us, and it's been shifting this. And in fact, a week ago, we thought it was going to make a rare perpendicular landfall in south central Florida, then break through into the Gulf. This shows you a rare NOAA flight they did the other day, not just around the storm of Dorian, but they flew up and down around the north to try to track to see if this high area of high pressure was breaking down. They said, yes, it looks like it is breaking down. And then we needed something to move this because once all the steering currents that's tugging and pulling against each other, it's got nowhere to go but stall. But then the hope was, and this is what blows my mind about all of this. Think of this. 20 years ago, Jake, if we knew we had a Category 5 200 miles off the coast, the whole peninsula would evacuate. But because we're now relying on our modern-day forecasting, logarithms and mathematical equations, everybody said, oh, it's going to move north. This is what we've been waiting for, that little color here of Scion, this little kind of orange blue-green color. That's the trough that's starting to lift the system. So it's going to take a while for it to actually get its act together. But yes, we are expecting it to continue now to pull it northward. There's a lot of history involved with this hurricane. It's, it's the strongest hurricane to hit the Bahamas ever since we started recording this sort of thing. Right. It's the second slowest moving on record, the second strongest yeah. winds in the Atlantic Basin. How much of this might be a result of, of climate change, the increased intensity of this? Uh, You know, we could do a whole show on this, uh, really. But to give you a quick answer, and this is what a lot of uh, scientists, those that study climate and tropical storms will tell you, we can't just look at Dorian and say, you know what, that's climate change. That's climate change. But we can look at elements within the storm. And you can look at the past. There has been a slight trend in the last couple of years, a couple of decades, really, that we've been seeing more Category 4 and 5. But really, it has to do with the elements. And and first of all, I mean, when you look at 
climate change. The biggest factor in climate change really is heat waves. Europe's had some incredible heat waves. We had them in the U.S. Coastal flooding is happening. In fact, Jakarta, the capital of Indonesia, is now thinking about moving because the coastal you know, areas, they're, they're sinking because it's rising. Heavy rain events. Florence in the Carolinas created a one in 1,000 year of, uh, event flood. Harvey, uh, of course. But you get down the li- uh, to the list where it's limited and you're at hurricanes and tornadoes. I expect that we're going to see when it comes to hurricanes, that's going to start going up the list a little bit. I went back in the archives here and grabbed the radar from Harvey. And of course, this moved to a pace that you could outwalk like Dorian. But what we're seeing here is with a warmer climate, when the air is warmer, it holds more moisture. So you're getting these one in 500 year rain events, one in 1,000 year rain events. But then also, excuse me, you're getting warmer waters. So that's more high octane fuel. And we're seeing these hurricanes now uh, go through rapid intensification because of the warmer waters. And when you look at the list and you want to know what the definition of rapid intensification is, 35 mile per hour wind increase within a 24 hour period. That happens to 79% of major tropical cyclones. But we're seeing that happen, it seems like, more and more with these storms, uh, definitely in the last five to even 10 years. And then you've got the ocean that is rising. That's a climate change event. So our storm surge is getting a little higher and higher and doing more devastation. But you can't just look at Dorian and say that's climate change, but you can add it to the broad picture. That makes sense. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Let me ask you specific to Dorian. The center eye wall is practically gone, but the powerful winds are stretching out for miles. Right. How is that possible? That seems like it would be contradictory. It's a great question. These storms, as they go through reorganization, you know, that eyewall replacement style we talked about, even though it's losing strength around its core, the vast majority of the energy is coming out and spreading to the top. So each time it goes through that replacement cycle, it pushes those hurricane winds and tropical storm winds out farther and they stay there. Then it goes through another cycle and it pushes them out and it stays there. So the storm wind field is broadening, even though the stronger winds at the core are weakening. So it's still a very dangerous storm. It's larger in size than it was, but not as strong in the center. All right, Tom Sater, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And Hurricane Dorian will, no question, be part of the CNN town hall on the climate crisis, which is tomorrow night. Ten of the Democratic presidential candidates will be attending the live event only on CNN that will air from 5 p.m. Eastern to midnight Eastern tomorrow. We're also following some breaking news out of Texas. We have new details on how the terrorist there, the mass shooter gunman in America's latest mass shooting, acquired that weapon. And this one might have major political implications. Then the search is over, sadly, tragically, for survivors of that mysterious boat fire. What investigators are looking for now. That's next. We have some breaking news for you now in our national lead. New details on how the Texas mass shooter obtained his firearm after he was rejected by a gun store for failing a federal background check. I want to get right to CNN's Ed Lavendera. Ed, what are you learning? Well, we have learned from a law enforcement source uh, telling CNN uh, that the weapon used in the shooting spree here in Odessa 
was purchased by the gunman through a private sale, which is essentially a way of avoiding a background check. We have been told by investigators uh, that at some point uh, the gunman failed a background check. It wouldn't have been for any kind of criminal history because what we've been able to find in this gunman's background is a, a couple of misdemeanors. That wouldn't have been a cause to fail the background check. But investigators here over the last couple of days, Jake, have been alluding to a uh, deteriorating mental state of the gunman um, and that, that that was what made him so agitated uh, on Saturday. But this purchase of this weapon through a, a private sale is what we're being told, Jake. And uh, this is what a lot of people call the, the gun show loophole. Um, in, in other words, private sales, you don't have to necessarily do a background check, uh, whereas if you go to a gun store, you do. Um, and, and this is this is, will be an argument we'll hear from people who want more gun laws that these loopholes should be closed. Right. This kind of goes to the heart of this idea that uh, many people have been pushing for uh, a universal background check. As, as you mentioned, uh, if you were to sell a, a firearm to me directly, I, you wouldn't have to give me any kind of uh, background check. Uh, and now what investigators have to do is use the serial number on that firearm to trace back to who, who sold it. Um, and that kind of work, uh, investigators say, is, is being done at this point. All right. I love Andara in Odessa, Texas. Thank you so much. Uh, Some more tragic news. This time out of California, we've learned that students at a Santa Cruz area high school are among the victims in that tragic dive boat fire. The search for survivors is essentially over. At least 20 bodies have now been recovered. Another 14 victims missing, presumed dead. But as CNN's Nick Watt reports for us now, this all remains something of a mystery in terms of what caused the fire. At 09.40 this morning, hope officially died. There will be no more survivors. The mission switched from rescue to recovery. It is never an easy decision to suspend search efforts. Captain Paul Amaral heard that call race to the scene shot this video. To know these people were trapped on that boat, he told CNN... It's horrific. He saw bodies float to the surface. All 34 people now confirmed dead or missing were likely asleep in bunks on the bottom deck when the fire broke out. Uh, There was a stairwell to get uh, down the main entryway up and down, and there was an escape hatch, and it would appear as though both of those were blocked by fire. It was fully engulfed from bow to stern. I mean, and planes probably 30 feet high. Bob and Shirley Hansen were anchored close by, heard a banging on their boat around 3.30 a.m. It was the five crew who'd been on the top deck managed to escape. Two of the crew members that were in pretty good shape gave them a flashlight and they went out to try and find any, anybody that might have gotten off. They found no one. And the Hansons brought just a handful of survivors to shore. I got the space. You know, if they could have all just gotten in the water, I, I could have got them out of there. Listen to these frantic questions asked by a dispatcher as the boat burned. Can you get back on board and unlock the boat? You don't have any firefighting gear at all? No fire extinguishers or anything? Clues to the cause of this catastrophe? Apparently not. A lot of adrenaline, a lot of confusion. Um, and I think uh, my best det- deduction is the member was tr- the, uh, the radio uh, communicator was trying to ask for information. There are no locked doors. 
Now, those five crew members who escaped, they were interviewed by investigators yesterday. That's happening again today. But authorities are still not giving us any indication as to what caused this fire, a fire, Jake, so intense that the only way that they can identify the victims is by DNA. Horrible story. Nick Watt, thank you so much. Appreciate it. It's a city already prone to flooding, and now Charleston is bracing for Hurricane Dorian. What the area is doing to prepare for the storm as the hurricane moves up the east coast of the United States. That's next. Stay with us. We're back with breaking news in our national lead, uh, taking a first look from the sky at the devastation left behind by Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas. An estimated 13,000 homes obliterated, at least five people killed. Residents using jet skis to try to save their stranded neighbors. Hundreds of them were told. Hurricane Dorian is now targeting the east coast of the United States. And CNN's Leila Santiago is in Hutchinson Island, Florida. That's an island stretch north of West Palm Beach. And Leila, tell us what you're seeing, what you're experiencing. Well, certainly it's still very windy out here, something we've been uh, seeing an increase of for the last 12 hours since we've been here. And, you know, although we're not seeing much rain, uh, we are also starting to see more people showing up to see. And that's partially because in the next hour or so, the county expects to lift uh, the mandatory evacuation that they put in place for Hutchinson Island, a barrier island here um, in Fort Pierce. Now, they, they are saying that they're still concerned about possible coastal erosion and flooding as well as tropical storm force winds. Um, but they are lifting that evacuation and they're also scaling back on the emergency operations center. So a sign that, that possibly they're not facing the same threat or danger that they had in place yesterday. Uh, that said, they're telling folks, excuse me, uh, they're telling folks that they are still not very much in the clear uh, and they need and they're urging people to be careful out here. Jake. All right, Lela Santiago in Hutchinson Island, Florida. Joining me now on the phone is Elliot Summy. He's the chairman of the Charleston County Council. Elliot, thanks for, thanks for joining us right now. What are your biggest concerns for your area? Well, obviously, um, we're worried about flooding. Um, we're worried about you know, having a cat, Category 2 a hurricane right off our coast. Um, you know, Charleston, we are at sea level. There's a reason they call us the low country. And, and unfortunately, over the last few years, we've had some major flooding events with like Hurricane Matthew and then the major flooding of October 2015. So we are very concerned uh, for our residents that if they flood when it rains real bad or if they flooded in the past, they're going to flood again. And we're worried about, you know, people's lives. Ninety percent of people that lose their lives during a hurricane do so because of water. And there's been a mandatory evacuation order for the eight coastal counties in your state. Are people in your area heeding that order? I believe they are, and we'd like to thank Governor McMaster for pulling the trigger and making it happen. You know, the low country of South Carolina, especially Charleston, has experienced a exponential population growth over the last, definitely last five years. And so we've got a lot of folks here. We've got a lot of folks who visit here. It was Labor Day weekend on top of it. So we needed to get as many people out of harm's way as possible. Do you and the people of South Carolina have the resources that you will need from either the state or from the federal government, pre-positioned? Are they in place right now, everything you need? Absolutely. Uh, we've been in constant contact with our governor's office. United States uh, Senator Tim Scott, matter of fact, just left here. He's actually the former chairman of county council. He was in the role that I'm in today. Um, and he's been in constant contact with the White House, 
we've been uh, we're ready, uh, we're prepared. Unfortunately, we've had to go through this a few times here in South Carolina over the last few years, so we know what we're facing. Our biggest thing is for our folks to our citizens to understand: if you if you're in harm's way, leave. If you have to leave, if you cannot leave, stay in shelter in place, and we'll try to go and get you. But at some point, when the winds get too bad, we won't be able to. So uh, if you can leave, leave. All right, Elliot Summy in Charleston, thank you so much. Good luck to you and all the people of South Carolina with the storm. We are just seconds away from the next update on Hurricane Dorian. Where will the monster hurricane hit next? Stick around, we'll tell you. The breaking news in our world lead today, utter devastation in the Bahamas. Neighborhoods reduced to rubble. An estimated 13,000 homes as of now destroyed. At least five people have been killed. But one official saying that death toll is sure to rise. Amid the tragedy, however, local residents have been stepping up to rescue their stranded neighbors. They've been using jet skis and boats to do what they can to save strangers, to rescue families. They estimate hundreds are still waiting for rescue. Officials say thousands of federal employees and troops have been deployed in response to the hurricane, which is now targeting the east coast of the United States with mandatory evacuations in order up the coast. Nearly 5,000 National Guard members, 10,000 from the Coast Guard, all in place to try to help respond to Dorian. And just take a, a look at the track. Tomorrow, the storm should be in northern Florida before it makes a turn toward South Carolina by Thursday. And Hurricane Dorian, of course, will be one of the topics discussed at tomorrow night's CNN Climate Crisis Town Hall. Ten Democratic presidential candidates will join live from 5 p.m. to midnight. That's only on CNN. Uh, You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 